that we have mentioned, I think, several weeks in a row. Um, one of them has to do with the um, family ministry uh, model changing, um, the old training that's going to go in the back here on uh, the 25th of this month. Um, Dave Wynn is leading that, so um, there's a detailed flyer on the back counter, but if you have any questions about exactly what's going to happen in that morning, um, grab Dave tonight um, before you go, and he could fill you in. We've had some global response from here, which has been great. Um, and then also, we've mentioned several weeks in a row, there's a chaplain training that's happening here the first week of August. And uh, Selena, why don't you wave in the back there? If you have a question about it, she's kind of overseen that um, training time is bringing somebody in. So if you've been wondering about there's a there's an additional flyer on the back. Some of you asked about it, but you can grab these guys tonight and get a little more details about it um, would be helpful. So we are going to be in um, Micah chapter 4 tonight. Micah, book of Micah chapter 4. Uh, if you remember last week, Micah chapter 3 presented a picture of a corrupted leadership. The fact that God delegates authority to human rulers, and human rulers are in fact um, uh, an ordained administrators of God's divine administration here on earth. Um, and uh, however all that God works that out in his sovereignty, he does that. Um, but that's the, the reality of it, and it was definitely the reality in Micah's day with the nation of Israel. Um, the sin and the rebellion that we saw um, in the nation of Israel and that gets judged in Micah chapter 3 gets traced in that book, in that chapter, back to the leadership, both its governing leaders, its judges, as well as religious leaders of that day. And we read about uh, some pretty harsh words as we saw the judgment that was going to come upon the world this, and the horrific impact upon the nation that this corrupted leadership was bringing about on, on those as, as the people. Um, and then at the end of that, we considered um, the place you start with that, what do we take away? We consider our own hearts as a church, as, as people that are to know what it means to make a difference in the world. What's God doing in us, and what's he want to show us, and where does he need to be at, at work in us as the people of God here in this world, as we want to be um, not fail in being the kind of influence that God wants us to be um, outside the walls here. Coming up in chapter 5, which is uh, next, uh, next Sunday and Saturday, there's a section that's completely in contrast to chapter 3, because he's going to jump in chapter 5, and he's going to talk about the coming of the perfect leader, the perfect shepherd, and it's going to reference to Jesus coming as Messiah, um, the great shepherd of the sheep, um, Jesus Messiah. But before that section, we get this little section here in chapter 4, and this, tonight we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and what happens is in the midst of all this judgment and this horrendous stuff that's going to happen to Israel, then God gives Micah a picture of um, that's not the end of the story. And here's, even, even in the midst of rebellion, here's what I have prepared for you. And it's a coming day in the future. And that's what we're going to get here in chapter 4, this, how God is still going to pour grace and restoration on a people in a world that was actually under judgment. In chapter 3, if you'd recall, um, it was, um, it was, he says that all the earth is supposed to pay attention to his message. It wasn't just for Israel. He says, pay attention, all peoples of the earth. Um, and then it ended with um, the very end of chapter 3. It says, because of you, speaking about the leaders, um, it listed some things that were going to happen in terms of the judgment. It said, Zion is going to be plowed as a field. When you plow something, you, you turn it upside down. It's going to be plowed completely upside down. He says, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, which, by the way, we know happened when um, 
when Israel was, was swept out, the nation of Judah was taken up by Nebuchadnezzar, and then later um, Hadrian destroyed the city. Um, it's going to happen. It happened again after Jesus in AD 70. Jerusalem gets destroyed again. Um, that was still going to happen. Um, and then he says in the end of chapter 3 as well, it says, The mountain of this house, um, which points to the city and the nation, is a place that was called to point to God, to be a place of worship. It says, The mountain of this house, he says, is going to become just like a hillside with some trees on it. Um, and the contrast here to chapter 3 is this, this city on a hill that people are supposed to go to. This is the place of worship, the place where God's name and everything about him was lifted up. It's going to become a place that people are just not going to really notice anymore. And that was what's going to happen at, as we ended chapter 3. Chapter 4 turns around and it's going to take those same images of the house, the, the, the mountain and the hills and the things that God wants to do in this place of Jerusalem, this place of Zion. And he's going to show that God's going to reverse all of that. He's going to do something completely different in the midst of that. It tells of a coming day which is partly seen in the coming of Jesus, but not yet fully seen yet even today. Um, a day that we still look for, when there's going to be restoration and a reversal, a reversal of everything that came about through the judgment of God in Micah chapter 3, and um, actually a restoration of all that was lost in the fall. So chapter 3, it's this ruin, okay? Chapter 4 is God says, in the midst of ruin, even while we're not getting it yet, God has a plan that he's going to change it all. And he's going to be in restoration um, to all to this place uh, in the future. And we want to look at that um, tonight. Our fifth key value as a church on our website and in our material that has our five key values. Um, the fifth key value says that we join God in his work of restoration as Jesus brings healing to a broken creation, our homes, the streets, the neighborhood, the university, our city, and the world. And this passage will give a picture of actually, as a church, when we join God in his work of restoration, chapter 4 is the end result of it and what God's going to do and what's he going to bring about as we work towards that. So in our day-to-day stuff of participating, whether it's at work or our running of our errands or at home or like the, uh, the um, I saw um, Derek and Anna, they had some of you that are participating in the International Kids Camp for Refugees all week, um, all those kinds of efforts, whatever we're doing, this work of restoration that we're a part of um, has an ultimate picture, and we're going to see that here in chapter 4. So let me read chapter 4, Micah chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 7. Um, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version tonight, so just listen to this picture that God paints for what it's going to look like um, in that coming day. Micah chapter 4, it shall come and pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people will flow into it. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many people, and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of our Lord our God forever and ever. 
And in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have inflicted. And the lame I will make a remnant, and those who are cast off will become a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in the Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. So two things tonight, and it was actually it's going to go pretty quickly. I'm just going to kind of walk through this. But we want to look at um, God's picture of restoration. What does it look like? Um, and then the second half is God's promise to do it. It's great to have a picture. This is what it's going to look like and never get there. But the picture of restoration, the second half of that is God's promise of bringing that about. So let's move through these verses and kind of he paints a picture of what it's going to look like. The first thing that he says is going to look like in the future, someday coming still, is that worship is going to be restored. Uh, worship is restored. Verses 1 and 2, um, it talks about the mountain of the house of the Lord. That's the place of the temple, the place where the people would come and worship, that in Micah's day they were going to see it at some point destroyed and laid bare, and everyone's going to be cast out and exiled. He says there's a coming a day when they'll be lifted up again, which is a picture of people coming back to worship God, a central place by which God would be raised up. He says he'll be established as the highest of the mountains. Chapter 3 said he's going to make the mountains like this, a low wooded place. And now it's going to become like one of the highest places um, and, and raised up, kind of like the mountains in Flagstaff with the snow on there in that picture, you know? But higher than that, um, it's, it's, it's a, a resurrection of the mountains and the hills is a picture of the fact that God is going to bring the world to worship him again, um, not just us here in this place. So worship gets restored. Chapter 2 says the nations are going to come. And all the nations are going to be saying, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Uh, Janice was with, spent a week with the kids, the, the refugee kids, doing songs and, and wanting to see the nations hear the gospel so it gets spread out beyond just our own place. And in this place, John says, there's going to be coming a day when people from all the nations are going to go say, that's the place to go. That's where worship is all about. And they're going to flock towards that place, this picture of worship coming back again. So the first thing is, is worship gets restored. Um, and the great picture about that is we get to do it in little pieces together, right? Um, we join um, all the other churches in, in our neighborhood here that we talk about a great deal as we, we all are, um, when we worship on a Saturday evening or Sunday morning, we worship with others. Um, we join in with churches in the city, in our nation, across the world, um, wanting always to get this bigger picture that the kingdom of God is much bigger than we are. But it's a small piece of the world um, that acknowledges the Lord. And we went through Philippians. says, someday is coming a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this picture here is God saying, there will be a day when everyone will acknowledge who God is. Everyone will know who he is. Um, and worship in its fullest sense towards God will finally be restored. Second of all, it says that God's ways will actually be known, not just by a few, but by many. It says they come up in verse 2. Let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, for what purpose? That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Interesting here, who's the teacher in this passage? It's the Messiah himself who rules in this place. And he says, let's go to that place to learn his ways. Um, and we want to not only know what they are, but we want to know how to walk in his ways as well. You know, we, we, we yearn for a world that would actually hear of God's ways and say it's a good thing. This is, this, is, this is the way to walk, go in that place. And it says here in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, that there will be coming a day when the world 
will actually know his ways. Um, and the people will all be um, acknowledging them together. Third of all, it's coming a day when justice will actually rule the day, which it does not today, does it? Chapter two, uh, Verse 2, it says here, Out of Zion will go forth the law, and the word of the Lord will come out from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. Um, interesting, Micah talks a great deal in the last chapter that there was injustice done. Remember we saw the, the judges and the governing authorities as well as the priests and prophets had all conspired together to cheat the people. And they were, um, they were twisting justice. They were taking people's homes and property and inheritance and they were you, uh, twisting the laws to their own purposes. The book of Micah is over and over again talks about the fact that one of the, the, the reasons the nation was being punished for the way it exploited those who were the outcasts and the poor and the disenfranchised people. And so at the end of the book, we're going to say, what's, what are people, what are you supposed to do? Act justly. That, that passed by acting justly. And Micah really presses this whole picture of that. We, we mentioned last week that in Ezekiel tells us Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the reasons it was destroyed is because it had oppressed the poor um, and taken from them. And so there's coming a day when it says here that when Jesus actually sits on his throne in a way even different than today, that he'll exercise justice in the world. And so when there's wrongdoing, it's corrected. And when there's right doing, it's rewarded as it was supposed to do in the beginning. And that um, all those things that just grieve our hearts as we look around and see injustice done, um, he says that he's going to clear that away. And Jesus, he sits on his throne will rule over the day, and justice will rule the day. Number four, it goes on here. It says in um, verse three, the second part of it says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. I'm assuming a plowshare is a plow. It's just another name for a plow, right? It's, it's farming implements, okay? I've never used one, but um, they'll beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks for their vines. Um, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither shall they learn war anymore. In that coming day, he actually says conflicts all cease. All the conflicts come to, to cease. I believe that there's, um, if you, the traditional um, definition of war, there are actually 10 wars, I believe, going on in the world right now, um, significant wars, but there are something like only 11 countries in the world that we could actually say are free of conflict today, whether external or internal conflict. And there's a... Um, our, our world is just, um, one place is just filled with conflict, uh, huge conflicts that, that are just destroying people and putting people in their grave. But then you can expand that because there's conflict in our homes, and there's conflict with our neighbors, and there's conflict within our own selves, and even within churches, um, there's conflict. And it says here, there's going to come a day when there's not going to be a need for a sword anymore, but there's going to be a need for farming things, things to produce things, um, when it says not learn war anymore, it means that the children were raised up not knowing what that's all about. Um, whereas we're raised up today, and we know all about conflict because it's just around us all the time. And so it says there's coming a day here when we'll actually, conflicts will actually cease. Um, during the, the, in, the, uh, in the garden, one of the curses was what? There was a breaking of relationships, our relationship with God, a relationship with our own self-understanding and a relationship with each other. And the great promises here is that that will end. That will actually end someday. And um, 
everything will be clear between us and God as he did that on the cross for us. Well, actually, there will be peace in our own hearts that who we are in Christ is actually meshed with who, what we think about ourselves will be full, um, and our relationships with each other will be completely unhindered, completely, absolutely unhindered. He says there's a day coming for that. That would be a good day. Next, it says there's the beauty and value of work is going to be restored. I'm kind of digging here, but I see it. As a, it's interesting that they're going to take your swords, and they're going to turn them into farming implements. And they're going to take your spears and make them things that are used to, to prune the vines, which makes the grapes grow. Um, the idea here that there's still work to do, um, but it's work that's filled with joy because there's produce from it. It's interesting that we talked about this when we looked at... Um, uh, our sexuality series, we talked about the garden in the very beginning. We were created for impact and for purpose, for relationships, um, and, to, and to make a difference in the world as the garden is supposed to be expanded. But he gave Adam and Eve work to do, and there's beauty in that work. And the curse made work painful and difficult. Unfortunately, in Christ, much of that gets redeemed already today. But there's coming a day when um, That'll be a joy to do. It, it won't be farming with thorns. It's farming with, with soil that just wants to produce. And that, that, that joy of working and producing and having an impact in the world gets restored. Right now, we work to make an impact, and it's, it's hard. And we feel like we're not getting anywhere, and it gets thwarted. And there'll be a day when that will stop. So the beauty and the value of work gets restored, which, again, reverses the curse from the garden and a restoration of impact. Along with that, verse 4, it says that um, there'll be a, a, the earth is going to fully yield itself in abundance. It says um, they'll sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Um, we talked about this last week. This, um, there's two parts to that. One is the earth is going to produce itself. There's going to be produce. The other side of that is there's no fear anymore. The idea here was that um, everybody's going to have something that's going to be producing something. Um, all of our gardens will be rich is, 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 is a picture here. Um, the picture here is that of one of um, not thorns, but of, of things growing up. And they're growing up so much that you can actually sit underneath them and get some shade. And you can reach up and pluck and enjoy it. Just like in the garden when God says, all these things are good for you and to enjoy. And um, the garden just kind of would, would just grow. Today, it's, 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 um, our, our work doesn't produce very much because of the curse. But there's coming a day when the little bit of work we do, it just multiplies the way God intended for it to. And then the second half of that, which it goes on in their picture of this, is that there's, there's no more anxiety because it says here they're going to be sitting under this vine and under this fig tree. In a nation at war, particularly back then, you didn't sit down under your fig tree. You stood with a sword and you guarded your property. And here the person can, the picture of, I can sit down and take a nap and nobody's going to jump on me and kill me and take my property. Even the governing authorities aren't going to step in and take it from me. But it's mine, and I can enjoy it and rest in it. And it goes on here in verse 4. It says, um, no one shall make them afraid. No one shall make them afraid. I was talking with somebody this week um, as I was getting all my hair cut off. Um, and uh, we were talking about what is behind of some of the things that we struggle with. And interesting, it's oftentimes the answer is fear. There's all sorts of fear. And... Um, shows up, and it, it gets in the way of us pressing forward. And, and God wants to tell Mike here, there's coming a day when the, the fear will cease. And not just because we're not afraid of the outside things that can happen, the bad things happen in the world, but it's not within us as well. 
And there's actual a sense of security and safety and rest. This, this whole picture from Psalm 23 of sitting by the streams and, and the green grass and that we're enjoying the fruit of our hands and God is pouring his delight on it. And there's rest. Whenever there's anxiety, it's hard to rest. So I'm, I'm an expert at that and staying up and just being anxious all the time. And it says that's all gone. There's, there's no place for fear anymore. And he actually removes it from our midst. So worship restored. His ways will be known. Justice will rule the day. Conflict cease. Beauty and the value of work gets restored. Earth will yield abundance. We'll have life without anxiety, actually living in peace and security. Chapter, verse 5, the second half says, Our salvation will completed, be complete. It says, We will walk, every one of us, in the name of the Lord our God forever and forever. Um, back in Philippians, we talk about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we are already saved but we, each day, we bring up what that's all about into our life. We bring forth the work he's done to us, and we bring it into our life to, to figure out how it works in this life. And there's coming a day when that's all taken care of. That, that's not a struggle anymore. That it's fully realized, all the work he's done in us. Um, we have taken it in and realized it fully and can enjoy it. A couple more. The weak and the outcast um, who have been, will be restored to wholeness. It says here, um, verse 6, In that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather those who have been driven away, those of the outcast, those whom even I have afflicted. In other words, those who are underneath the discipline and judgment of God as well. Those who are cast off, that's the nations. And the Lord will reign over them. He's going to bring them back and make them a remnant for himself. Um, the weak and the outcast the marginalized, um, and even those who are under judgment and discipline for their own sin, he says, I'm going to make them whole again. I'm going to make them whole. Um, especially in this part of town, you know, we, as a church, we, we're interacting with the outcasts a lot here. And um, it's, the, the job is overwhelming. Yeah, it's overwhelming in this city. Um, we have struggled with it over and over again, just, um, the city has struggled with it, what to do with it, and churches struggle with what to do with it. And God says, keep pouring in, keep pouring in, keep doing that work. Um, and it's hard work. It's exhausting. And we see very little coming from it. He says, there's a coming a day when I'm going to step in, and there's going to be wholeness for all those people. There's going to be wholeness for them. Interesting, that's why later on in this book, um, when we look at what does it mean to reflect God, we're going to see that part of reflecting God is showing mercy and compassion, and so it begins with this work here. And then, lastly, um, the last thing of this picture is end of verse seven. Um, it says, "The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore." Where will God be? He'll be here, here in our midst. Um, we have the Holy Spirit, and may God's real presence is, but we're going to have the, the tangible presence of God in our midst, ruling um, in that day. Um, we can actually look to a place going, "There He is. There's God in our midst." Um, and you get it all over the book of Revelation, but he's going to show up and be at this place. Isn't that a great picture? And it's not even the whole thing. You can go to Isaiah, which is the bigger picture of, of Micah, and he gives us even more. And he says, he says to a nation who's just about ready for the hammer to come down on them because of sin, and it's going to come down on them. In the midst that he says, guess what, though? This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm preparing for you. This is what I'm going to accomplish someday and you're going to enjoy this picture. This is what it's going to look like. 
And the great news is when Jesus came and died for us, the first part of that happened. We realized that in him, as people in Christ, and being clothed in his righteousness, and being given the mind of Christ, and, and having our, our purpose in, in, in this world restored again. And then ultimately, someday, we're still looking for that day when the whole picture gets done. And God promises to do that. That picture should be the longing in our heart. Um, and its absence, the fact that the world is not like that today, um, it should break our hearts. It should break our hearts as we look out and, and wait for him. I'm going to um, uh, Michigan at the end of this month. My mom is um, 90. She's dying. And we just kind of moved her into hospice. So she's, um, But she's been ready to go to heaven for like 15 years. <laughs> she's been talking about it. And, um, and uh, she'll actually get a first taste of that. And, but we're supposed to have a longing in our hearts for that. Um, the more we, we pay attention to the Lord, the more, more my heart longs to know fully all that he's done and will do for us. And so we're to look forward to it. A longing of our heart and its absence today should break um, our hearts. Let me pray for a minute before we look at the second half of this. Father, I just want to ask that you would, um, for me, um, in the midst of just walking through my week and um, being busy with my own things, um, it's just easy to um, either think this is all there is or grow discouraged thinking that you're just not at work in our world. And we thank you for this picture here. And I pray you'd give us um, eyes that um, can see the world in its struggle and give us compassion for it, um, cause our hearts to break over people who are not experiencing the life that you promised, and generate in us, Lord, a longing for that coming day um, when you will finish all of this and, and restore things and... Um, our eyes will see you and we'll be like you, but we'll see you as you are. Um, just generate that in our hearts, um, that it would uh, press us forward in the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. second half of this is a promise of restoration. I just want to mention a couple, couple of verses here. It's one thing to present a great picture that God does, but it's, um, it's another thing to keep your promises, um, to say I'm going to do something and then to actually do it. Um, and in our days of uh, politicians and campaigns who are all starting to roll out now and making all their promises of what they're going to do, the truth is uh, very little happens um, in terms of uh, the big picture and once they get into their place. Um, you know, what comes of it after all these things they say? But God himself has declared that he not only knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us, but he is powerful enough to enact and bring about the things that he has designed to do. Um, the picture here is of that, that great, that coming day, which is a great picture. But the passage, actually, in a couple spots, just wants to remind us that it's actually going to happen. It's not just a, 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 some dream out there in the future that we can fall into that trap. A couple key phrases. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, It shall come to pass um, in the latter days. Um, it's not like it'll come to pass if this happens or if that happens. It doesn't say that. It says it will come um, to pass. In those latter days, chapter uh, four, verse four it says, um, "I love this." It says, um, "They shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree. No one shall make them afraid." And I love this. It says, "For the mouth of the Lord, who commands all the hosts of heaven, has spoken these words." So they're not Micah's words here. Um, they're not somebody else's words. They're, they're God's very words. And it says, "Here, here's what I'm telling you. It's going to be like." 
and it's, I'm the one, the Lord of hosts, the one who commands everything. I'm the one who is speaking, speaking this into its being. And then chapter 4, verse 6, he says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will. Um, when God says, I will do something, he does it. And the entire testimony of creation and the historical record, um, the things that we see going on today, the things that we know in our own heart, all give testimony that God carries out the things he says he's going to do. He carries us. As a matter of fact, this book, the very things that he predicts, I mean, a few years after Micah gives his prophecy, the northern kingdom gets destroyed and carried out, and the people were in shock going, Micah's words just came true. They were God's words who spoke, and as he moved in, in the midst of a nation to accomplish his judgment, and then another 150 years later, as the, the, the southern kingdom gets swept away, the words of Micah all come back. We saw it in the book of Jeremiah. They remembered what Micah said. This is what Micah said. God had spoken that. And he was actually able to take nations like Babylon and Egypt and Assyria and move them in every ways he wanted to accomplish exactly what he wanted to do. And we can even see in the historical record that it comes down to the days in some place where God predicts us what's going to happen. And then in chapter uh, next week, as we look at chapter 5, when Mike teaches on it, the coming of the Messiah and all the prophecies related to Jesus and his arrival and all of his work that, that he did. And then we can look over and over again at the things through history that God has said was going to happen. And as I say, we can look into our own hearts and see his promise to bring restoration to us and transfer us from darkness to light. He has done all those things. And so when he says, this is going to come to pass, and this is what I declare, and this is what my, my mouth speaks, we're supposed to sit and go, I can rest in that. Because God has always been faithful. He's never let one thing um, drop yet. The great I am, the creator of all, the one who sits on the throne, the one who gave his very life for us, um, he declares truth. And he speaks his purposes. And as, this, as we see in the uh, Gospels, all of creation has to obey. It has no choice. It has to obey. And it moves at his... Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. It says, Every valley shall be lifted up, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Isaiah 40, verse 5, is also in Handel's Messiah. It's one of his best songs out of that thing. Um, I, I weep when I hear that song because I love the part when it just says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken, and it's supposed to shake us um, because God says, I'm going to move, and I'm going to do it. And this picture he's just given us here, he says, I am actively doing it. And the fact that it's been a 1,000 years or more doesn't mean anything. It just means God's patient, wanting to bring more to himself, as he prepares for that good and wonderful day coming down the road in the future. We see it being carried out in all these places. Salvation touches us. It makes us new. We've been made new creatures. We've been reconciled in Christ, which are just more evidences that God keeps his word. He has already done that work in us. And now, in the midst of all things going on in this world, he says he invites us into that work of restoration. And the reason it's good news to step into the work is because he promises it's going to get done. That's the great news. It's so hard to do a job when you think the end result's going to be, like, duddy. It's like, I'm going to work all this time, and it's going to come to nothing. Um, I think it was Jordan Stone, who comes, usually comes Sunday night. He had been working on his Ph.D. stuff. He had worked for a while, and then some stuff just didn't come together. Some machinery came apart, and he had to restart his Ph.D. work almost all over again from scratch. That's discouraging when that happens. And God steps in here, and he goes, guess what? Here's what I'm going to do. And right here in this place, when it doesn't look like any of that's happening, I've called you and prepared you for a work. 
and to participate and join me in that work that I'm doing. And the great news, we get to step into it because I know he's going to finish it. It's actually God's work. It's not the work that we make up. It's God's work that he's already doing and that he promises to complete. And so we get to step into a work that's got a guaranteed outcome because the mouth of God has spoken it. He's already done this work in me, and now he invites us to participate in it with him. And although he has not yet finished it, he's going to bring it to its final conclusion. And so we get to join in the work hopeful and full of promise because God keeps his word. Psalm 130 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love all the time. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of her iniquities. So as we look at this, um, I don't know how, how you're feeling the past week or so, or month or year or whatever it is, but um, when we get buried in the things of our world, um, we get anxious, and we get discouraged, and we lose sight of the fact that God's hand is at work and moving. So if we're discouraged, or if we're under trials or discipline, or if our eyes are cast down, remember that God does not grow weary in his work. The scriptures tell us that none of his words fail, that his arms are not too short, that his love does not dry up. Um, As the one song we sing, that all of his promises are yes and amen and true, and we can count on them. The table behind me and on the side that we have up every single week is, is one of the reasons we put it there is a reminder that God has finished his work for us. Um, and we come celebrating as we look ahead to his, the finalization of it all, but we look back that he did a work for us. He, he finished the work of redemption on our behalf, that, that God himself keeps his word, and he came and he brought and he, redemption. He gave his life for us, and he brought us out of darkness into light. When he left, he said, I'll return, and lo, I am with you always. And he's kept that promise in the Holy Spirit. And we can take these elements. He says, when you take them, take them until I come. Because it's supposed to remind us he's coming back, and he's going to finish the work that he came to do. The table reminds us of his great work of restoration in us and gives hopeful promise of his ongoing work in everybody else, and that he's going to finish his work um, in this world. Janice, you guys can come back up. Um, as we sing, as it is each week, if you know the Lord, the, the table here and on the side is open, and you can come and partake. Um, remember his work in you. Remember the promise of his continued work um, in the future. Let me, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for, a, I guess we should do this every day, uh, coming to the cross, but I thank you for this weekly reminder of gathering and remembering the cross and coming before it um, in thankfulness, um, the reminder that um, you lifted us up out of a pit and set us on firm ground. You clothed us in righteousness. You gave us the, the mind of Christ. You've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And you've restored us to relationship and to making a difference in this world. And so, Lord, uh, again, afresh tonight, we give you thanks for that. Um, Empower us through your spirit um, as we leave tonight and we go into a world that doesn't look very much like the picture we saw tonight. 
Give us eyes and hearts that see the world like you do and give us, um, remind us of the hope we have in you and the great promises of your word spoken. Tonight as we partake and as we sing, Lord, um, draw us to yourself. Give us a longing for you and your presence um, and grateful hearts for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.